Stephen Allen Davis was a 23-year-old from San Francisco, California. He was a musician who had an older sister and two younger brothers. On Halloween 1986, a Friday, Stephen told people he was going to a friend's party, then heading back to his hometown about 30 minutes away. Stephen never arrived at either place. He was never seen again. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound. I spend a lot of time on these episodes, the live show, and the presentations I've done at universities, talking about the most common types of disappearances. By this time, many of you can probably name them. The man said, drugs play a role, it's a murder but, etc. Then the question is, what is the rarest? Or more precisely, what kind of person is the least likely to disappear? I can answer that. A single person with no physical or mental health issues or addictions and no money issues. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when we've featured cases covering a person such as this, that these are Unfound's biggest mysteries. Jason Jolkowski. April Andrews, Jesse Ross, Stephen Kocher, Kristen Monteferi, Mary Jane Van Gilder. In all of those, any theory is possible, other than them being beamed up to the mothership. Well, today with Stephen Davis, we have another one of those. A guy living his life in a way that made him unlikely to disappear. Or was he? What happened to the Frisco Kid? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Linus's website, charlieproject.org. Steve Davis came from a musical family. In fact, right before his disappearance, Steve had done some recordings with his friends and had been talking about getting a tape of that session. However, Steve had a backup plan in case the music didn't work out. He had moved to San Francisco and eventually got a job in the mailroom at the oil company Chevron. Hey, everybody has to start somewhere. But Steve wasn't in the city alone. His friend of many years, George, lived close by and had actually helped Steve find an apartment. Everything seemed to be going smoothly as possible in Steve's life. So on Friday, October 31st, 1986, Steve finished his week on a high note, telling his supervisor that it was his best week at Chevron. Steve then went food shopping. According to Steve's own words earlier that week, that evening he planned to take the half-hour trip by bus back to his hometown 
and stay the weekend. On the way, though, Steve planned to stop and pick up that demo tape previously mentioned at a friend's, Steve Havernesses. Coincidentally, this friend was also having a Halloween party. Steve had invited George to go to it, but he declined. Steve allegedly never arrived at the party and never picked up that tape. He was never seen again. A search of his apartment showed no signs of violence, the door was locked, and the receipt from the food shopping was there. About 10% of Unfound's disappearances have been solved since our coverage, and rarely are the resolutions surprises. Why? Because what is known leads us most of the time to very probable conclusions. Yet, today is different. So please think about these three questions as you listen to the rest of this episode. Number one, why didn't Steve's friend seem that concerned when Steve didn't show up for the party or the tape? Number two, if Steve's life was going so well, why did he give to people close to him the impression he might be leaving it? And number three, San Francisco police dismissed it at the time, but now in 2022, should we consider the possibility that Steve might have been murdered due to his friendship with a married woman? Steve's family is just as puzzled now as they were in 1986, but they can't help but lean toward a foul play scenario. The guest for this episode is Steve's sister, Susie Davis. Unfound news. Dr. Telesco and I were due to have another show next Thursday, April 28th. However, due to some conflicts, we've pushed our get-together to May 12th. And for the first time, we'll be covering a solved unfound disappearance. Next, I hope you all enjoyed, if you got through all of it, the four-hour-long Q&A episode. I love answering all of your unique questions. However, I may be changing the scheduling to three times a year so as to keep the length a bit shorter. Finally, next Friday, update episode number 11. I haven't started compiling the information yet, but my perception is there isn't a ton of new information on the disappearances Unfound has covered. But maybe I'm wrong. Where you can find Unfound. Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Podbean, and many other platforms, especially outside the United States. Unfound has social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, join me on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Unfound podcast channel for the live show, the only one of its kind in true crime. Ask questions, chat with other viewers, and give the show a thumbs up. You can contribute to Unfound in the following ways. 
Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. PayPal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Contribute during the live show with the super chat. And lastly, join the YouTube membership program for the low price of 10 cents a day. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Steve Davis, Susie Davis. Susie, welcome to Unfound. <laughs> Hello to you. Um, let's start here. Uh, let's just talk about your family. Uh, of course, you are Steve's sister. How many siblings do you have? What was the Davis uh, family like in the 1980s? Maybe just give the listeners slash viewers a little feel for that to start. Okay, well, uh, let's see. There was four siblings. I was the oldest sister. Steve was second and was four years younger than me, but was the oldest boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see, in the in the 70s, my parents had discovered the counterculture and had basically embraced the um, the counterculture to the point where I would say we were all kind of hippies through the whole 70s and I, which I myself loved. The, okay. You get to wear the coolest clothes. <laughs> okay. And by the 80s, um, let's see, we were trying to put it all together. I mean, at the by the time of Steve dis, dis, Steve's disappearance, my parents had already split up. And my dad was living um, in Woodacre and my mom was living in Fairfax. Um, but both Steve and myself lived with my mom um, for a while until we sort of, you know, got on our, um, got on our own two legs. I think I moved out when I was 20, uh, 24 for the last time Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd I'd moved out, come back, moved out, come back. And, and Steve moved out, um, sometime when he was around 22, I think. Okay. All right, so you you had other siblings, and what was like the age age dispersion between uh, between all of them? Just so, I'm, yeah, I'm the oldest. Steve's four years younger. Sean is two years younger than Steve, and Scott is four years younger than Sean. Wow, you're the only girl and three boys. Yeah. How was that? How was that, Susie? Well, it was great growing up because I got to be like a play mom with you know my adorable younger brothers it was great um i always was like mom number two okay all right very good all right so a little bit of a hippie family uh unfortunately (laughs) uh parents or maybe fortunately depending on how everybody felt about it i guess your family uh, your parents get divorced and by that time it sounds like the mid 80s of course we know what steve's age were you were a little older than that Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe kind of a little bit out on your own, finding your uh, own way. And of course, we're going to talk about how Steve eventually moved to mm-hmm. San Francisco. So we have a good idea of the of the family dynamics. And so let's just move on to talk about Steve uh, specifically. 
maybe starting here, being that you had two other brothers besides Steve, would you say that Steve kind of um, was a little bit different from them, all kind of the same personalities? How would you explain Steve compared to your other brothers? Oh, well, um, well, he being the oldest um, and being an Aries, <laughs> if you go for astrology, he was okay. very, very much the leader of the boys. Um, but all the boys were really creative and it was really fun watching them grow up because they were all drawn to music and art. And Steve was especially instrumental in getting his brothers involved in uh, do they made a lot of movies. They would, you know, come up with skits and act them out. And then he also did a ton of claymation shorts using oh, yeah. a super eight super eight camera which you know didn't they don't have any kind of professional quality but he loved doing it and he'd get you know sean and scott involved and so he was always a real ringleader with the boys it was it was a lot of fun okay interesting uh uh, was he into sports uh how did he do in school what about those aspects of his life i think he did fine in school um super smart kid he only did a year or so of college at sf state and then he dropped out and i can't tell you why he did but he Mm -hmm. after a year or so he ended up um getting a job as a bike messenger and that's when he moved into his friend henry's apartment Mm um okay i'm I'm sorry if I didn't answer the question. I might have gone off on that. <laughs> That's all right. No, we're we're here to talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> I just tried to guide the conversation. That's okay. that's totally fine. Um, uh, maybe I just in general, how did he do in school? Was he a good student? Uh, apply himself, or was he one maybe I, um kind of a slacker? What you do, you even know? No, no, he definitely was. He definitely applied himself. He mm-hmm. he he liked to be the best. He liked to win. If he had any shortcomings, it was that he was not a very gracious loser. <laughs> I, know, um, I, I got a little bit of my, I'm not an Aries, but I know that I know that feeling. Yeah. Yes, a few incidents over board games that were not particularly pleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, he just he had a very strong personality and a lot of drive. Um, mm-hmm. He was a self-taught musician and was a songwriter, and he was fascinated with uh, vintage horror movies and wow. loved Ray Harryhausen movies and loved the Beatles and was really into boxing. And he has he has notebooks full of lists that he made when he was. Uh, a young adult of all the lists of like all the actors who played Bella Lugosi and rated by the best to the worst and all the Ray Harryhausen movies and every fight that Mike Tyson ever did and he just loved loved to make lists and you know categorize things and quantify things and you know every Beatles song written by George Harrison so when we look at his notebooks which I have been recently hoping to find a little glimpse into his personal life. It's just like, it's just lists. Mm -hmm. And then all of his writing was, was just creative writing was him making up stories. um, And very, very sort of um, uh, creative and kind of offhand way. Like, I don't know if you ever read any of John Lennon's 
Mm -hmm. uh, writing that he did. It's just very playful, very comedic. So that that's yeah, he was always creating something. Okay. And you mentioned, of course, the music, and that's going to be a factor later, of course, in the discussion when we start talking about Mm -hmm. the music that he was making and everything. But I do have to ask, and we're not going to get deep into this. Uh, but being that you were his older sister, and of course you had a music career, do you think he was inspired by you, or was this just something he came upon by himself? I think he was very inspired. I, I talked to one of his best friends recently, and he said, and he told me Steve was so was so proud of me and what I'd done in music, and that was wow. really nice here because often with siblings you don't go, man, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, I think he was inspired and mm-hmm. interesting. That makes sense yeah. to make you feel good. Wow. That, that was re- really nice to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just, uh, so thank you for that. Very interesting. Uh, what about his friends? Um, we're going to be talking about some of these guys that he knew, but would you say I uh, made friends easily? Uh, you said maybe he didn't like to lose, and we're maybe we're going to get into that. Uh, you've told me about maybe a little outspoken, confrontational side of his personality, but what would you say regarding his friends? Would you say that he made them easily? Did he have those close friends? And how did that, you know, all go on when he did move from his hometown and went to San Francisco? How did he keep in touch with them? What went on there? Do you know? Yeah, I think Steve was not the kind of guy who had a lot of friends. He had a few close personal friends who's really tight with our family and with his brothers. And I think, you know, the family was really at the center of his world. So I know George is one of his best friends from middle school and also his friend, Steve Habernas. But, you know, I was also, um, I was four years older and I was starting to get involved in music and, you know, I was, I'd moved out a couple of times. So, our social lives didn't intertwine that much. So as far as I knew George, because I'd seen him around for years and he was a cool kid, but I don't even remember meeting other friends of Steve's right now. Okay. Yeah. What about uh, relationships? Uh, Girlfriends, uh, like when he was in high school, uh, Mm -hmm. any any intimate relationships, uh, personal relationships that he had uh, either in his hometown or what do you know about that? Yep. No, he didn't really. I didn't know him to have any girlfriends. Um, He never showed up with any girls. I didn't hear stories about him with with girls or guys. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Yes, of course. Yeah. Nothing like that. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, like a lot of creative people, you get very obsessed with your projects that you want to do and you make. And, you know, it's hard to find somebody who's going to fit into that. (laughs) That's right. I I am one of those people. And hence the reason I'm single at 51. So I certainly know uh, that uh, type of situation, you know, when you get passionate about things, certainly, of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when he did, and when he did end up getting uh, getting involved with women, I didn't, I did not meet them. At that point, we were running in pretty different circles. Well, maybe I should ask you that, being that you had moved out and were doing, uh, you had your own career. How often would you say, let's just say, between 1984, 85, and and when he went missing in 1986, how many times would you say you personally saw him or talked to him? Oh God, honey. <laughs> Just a guess. It's hard to say, but I would say 
uh, you know, I would probably see him at least every couple of months. Oh, okay. um, he would come to shows. Um, it just, it depends. You know, I, I think, so in 84, 85, I was out on the road with the Purple Rain Tour for like seven months. So that's a long period of time. And as you can imagine, I was super caught up in the excitement of right. that. Huge. Amazing. Huge. And so I think 84 was when, you know, I was just doing my thing and he was doing his thing. And, you know, that's when we kind of lost touch with each other. Although, yeah. you know, anytime I was home, I would go up and see my family and we'd get together. We had a very, had a very tight family. My mom, my mom was pretty amazing at bringing everybody together. My dad had a new girlfriend at that point my mom was just like no just bring her over it's fine we're all a family that's nice yeah so we were really close and so yeah so there were long periods of time where I didn't see him you know we may have I may have sent postcards or talked on the phone but mm -hmm. yeah I was pretty darn busy yeah right? yeah right and yes that is the listeners yes she did say the purple rain tour once again this is all about Steve but if you want to go to Susie's website, you can do that. But yeah, given that was so big, he must have been, you know, so, you know, must have been telling everybody about his sister and what she was doing at that time, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on to this. Maybe some things about his personality, some things that came up, in, you know, in mm -hmm. the months uh, before he went missing. You did, of course, already talk about him being confrontational, outspoken. Is this something genetic, environmental? You know, how would you uh, portray it? Yeah, well, my my dad had a bit of a temper when we were growing up. And so, you know, having been quick to anger is probably more of a learned behavior than the genetic. Um, yeah. And as far as me personally, I mean, aside from a few instances where he got mad because he lost at a board yeah. game, you know, he wasn't confrontational with me at all. Okay. Um, um, you know, but I did, my, my brother, Scott told, uh, he told me that when Steve was in high school, he would get together with his friends and they'd go looking for people to have fights with. And I was like, what? I'd never heard that. Oh <laughs> wow. And, okay. and, and with my brothers, his temper was much more likely to surface. So those guys would express a lot of anger towards each other and a lot of their relationship was kind of around competing and you know who's going to win and who's you know mm -hmm. so I th think it was there was definitely some of that need to be the winner need to be the best need to be the toughest need to be the fastest sort of thing with yeah. the boys definitely more than with me yeah okay and I uh, once again these, some of these things you're <laughs> describing I see in myself too so that's uh, that doesn't happen too often when we talk about missing people but there's some things that ring true here um yeah. what about moving to San Francisco once again you had your own life you were doing your own thing I realized that he didn't you know you he maybe didn't go to you and ask you for your opinion on all this but what yeah. do you understand now about him moving from his hometown Moving to San Francisco, his choice to move out and do his own thing, live on his own. What do you understand about that now? Well, he uh, he decided uh, to get a job 
And he had a friend named Henry that he met through, there's a religious practice called Ekinkar that my mom is into. And so she'd kind of pulled Steve into that. And so he met Henry and I guess Henry had a room and I don't know if Henry's room came first or the bike messenger job came first, but um, it was just, I think he was ready to be out on his own. Um, it was 1984 when he first started working as a bike messenger. Okay. Um, so he would have been 21 then, I think. So okay. it seemed totally natural. <laughs> All right. So he just moved out. Time for him to move out. It wasn't necessarily a for example, it wasn't a reason anything in bad going on at home. He just felt, you know what, yeah. just time to move out, live on my own, you know, go San Francisco is a, you know, interesting place, big city. And maybe I should mm -hmm. ask you this. How far it was this from where he grew up to San Francisco? How far? Oh, well, it's only uh, Fairfax to the city's 30 minutes. All right, so not far, but still yeah. moving into the city. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, would you say in general, your mother, uh, being that he was living at home, she was felt fine with that? She just... Yeah. Yeah. Also, the, the, she knew that she knew Henry through the mutual uh, spiritual right. practice. So. Okay. And did you tell me in a prior conversation, was Henry the opera singer? Is that, is that yeah. And in fact, we're trying to remember Henry's last name because he's evidently still, he lives in the Netherlands and he's still mm. performing and is a, wow. a successful singer with the opera over there. Wow. So another successful musician. That's interesting. Okay. So he knows Henry. Uh, he moves down there now, though, he, even though he knew Henry, he was living by himself then he got his own place or they were, they were no, roommates for a little while. No, he lived with Henry out in the avenues on 22nd Avenue okay. for a while. Okay. And then he ended up getting his own place. Okay. Yeah. Now that brings up being that his own place, though. I don't know if it was a coincidence. Maybe you can explain it if you know. How did it end up? You've already mentioned this friend, George. How did mm -hmm. he end up also kind of living in the same area or just very close or... How did that all end up? Was that a coincidence or was that some arrangement that the, those two guys made? Do you even know? Well, that actually didn't happen. <laughs> oh, it didn't. Good, okay. Yeah, this is a good example of that. That's what my mom told me and that's what she remembered. But I okay. talked to George himself. He said he didn't live there, but huh. he was friends with the landlady. And so maybe that's how Steve heard about the apartment. Oh. Uh, yes. Okay. But George, yeah. he didn't, did he not live in the city then? Did he live somewhere else or do we he, was, he, he said that he was, he thinks he was living at his brother's part-time at that point. I, um, I have notes from my conversation with him. He wasn't exactly sure where he was, but he was sure that he didn't live in the same building as Steve, which was something I'd heard from my mom. Okay. So it's then possible, this is just an example, that uh, Steve's living with Henry. Steve wants to get his own place. He knows George from way back in the day in elementary school. George says, you know what? I know a woman that has a, a room in the city if you want to lose, move into it. And that's how Steve found this place. Possibly. Yeah, that's that sounds right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. All right. Now, he, you talked about this bike messenger job, but eventually he ended up working for Chevron, uh, the oil mm -hmm. company. What was he doing there uh, for them? What was he doing? He was in the mail room, sorting the mail. Okay. All right. And probably, um, and, and 
probably delivering it from department to department. Okay. All right. Very good. So he goes from Mike Messenger to that. And do we have any idea how long he was at that job before he went missing? Chevron. No, I would have to double check. He was there at least six months, maybe a year, but I would, all those exact dates are very hard to put together. He also had a job working at a bread shop for a while there somewhere. So there's a whole period around, you know, between 82 and 86 where we're a little unsure of what job was where. Okay, (laughs) that's fine. Your impression was Steve having a good time in San Francisco. Do you think that once again, the way you understand it, the way your mother talked about it, maybe your other brothers talked about it, were things going uh, the way he thought they would in San Francisco? I don't really know. I remember my mom saying that the last time she saw him, that he seemed that he felt burdened to her like he didn't feel light and joy joyful like he kind of had a heaviness around him like there was something he was troubled about and um but it wasn't discussed but it was just an impression impression that she got and so you know that would have been sometime in 96 um, 86 sorry okay all right. Now, regarding maybe these statements, uh, he did make a couple of them, and we we certainly need to talk about them. The, the first one is, if I said something to your mother about if I go missing for a while, you know, don't worry about me. Was this something that came out quickly after he went missing, or how do you remember that? What do we know about uh, Well, after he went missing, Mom told all of us that he'd called her you know, maybe six months before she couldn't remember exactly because at the time she didn't really, you know, put that, she didn't, she wasn't that alarmed by what he said, but he basically called her and said, Hey, you know, if I were to ever disappear for a while, I don't want you to worry about me. I'm going to be, you know, I'll be fine. And she sort of took it as, you know, him saying like life is hard sometimes. And sometimes I just think about, I just wish I could, you know, start all over again someplace else. And, you know, so that's kind of what she said to him. You know, she said, well, sometimes I feel that way too. And she was just sort of, you know, sympathetic with his emotions and didn't really, um, you know, think much about it until he disappeared. And then she told us that and we, um, we really latched on because it just the whole him disappearing out of the blue, like with no evidence of any crime whatsoever. It was just too hard to fathom. Like, how does somebody just disappear and so we all really we really were invested in that and you know it's so sad in retrospect but we all were so sure he was would just come back that he disappeared in october 31st of 1986 and at christmas time like i got him christmas presents and they were under the tree for him because a part of me was like Oh, for sure he'll be home by Christmas, right? And then no sign, no word. It was like uh, my mom's birthday was March 19th. And it was just like holding out this hope. It's like, oh, for sure he's going to call my mom. 
Like I just couldn't go to the yeah. place of he has been murdered and he's gone. Mm -hmm. There was no evidence to yeah. point to that at all. How does it, I mean, here's a big guy. How does a big body like that just disappear? So anyway, yeah. um, that. So this is so this is a comment that he made that maybe beforehand was just like eh, early 20 something guy maybe having some angst or something and then after the fact it became something serious like oh okay yeah yeah okay. it's like oh we really believe that's what happened that he just left okay you know now he did say uh he went even further than that once again in my notes of course we've talked several times that he even asked, I think, was it one of your brothers about getting, uh, or maybe a friend of his, he asked, about getting a different or new social security number. When did this come out? Well, we found out about this uh, from my first cousin, Grant, who, after Steve disappeared, wrote us a letter. And he said, hey, when I was with Steve, like, a couple summers ago, like, it had, you know, it hadn't been a recent thing. Steve had was sort of just pondering like, wow, I wonder what it would take to get a new social security number. And it kind of led Grant to believe that he was contemplating this idea of creating a new identity or disappearing somewhere. So Grant told us that. And then of course that just tied right in with what Steve had told my mom. And we're like, oh, wow. It was another part of the equation that made us a little less what I what I think we were unfortunately not as proactive in trying to locate him ourselves and just you know sort of letting police follow leads and things like that because we all just kind of believed he was he disappeared himself on a lark and he'd show up any day he'd show up any you day know? yeah uh, once again in in all the years since have you ever discovered that he's brought up these topics to anybody else once again besides your mother did he talk to anybody else about thinking about going away for a while or did he talk to anybody else about you know a new social security number or was yeah. it just seemingly with these just these two people just those two people but that that kind of makes me want to reach out to his uh friend george who i've been in touch with recently okay. so that'd be a good question for me to ask okay so we have these things um could be nothing uh, you know, as an example, we know sometimes people have uh, called like suicide hotlines and <laughs> they don't end up committing suicide. Nothing happens. You right. know, people, you know, uh, you know, we talk about it on the program. Sometimes uh, women will say, you know, if I go missing, it's because, you know, you need to go look at John Smith and she doesn't go missing. So we're just and then sometimes women do go missing after saying something yeah. like that. So it's just it's just hard to say. But I can certainly understand in the moment. Uh, that maybe people were just thinking, this is just Steve talking. Maybe he's mm -hmm. just a little down, depressed, and it's really nothing, and he'll just move past it. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to this. Now, you said that he didn't have any uh, you know, intimate relationships or, or anything like that. Once again, to your knowledge, we realized that you had your own life at the time. But there was this woman, Janice, that he met uh, once he got to San Francisco, was this a woman that your family knew about before he went missing or did she kind of just pop up after the fact? And what can you tell the audience about Janice? Uh, I don't. Okay. So I only found out about Janice after Steve went missing. Uh, he was a woman that 
uh, he had been dating for a while um, and evidently really liked and uh, her, but she was married and her husband was in jail. Wow. So when her husband was getting ready to come out of jail, Janice told Steve, I can't see you anymore. Um, and this, this was, this was upsetting to Steve, but he agreed to it. And, um, and I, you know, I believe I talked to Janice back then yeah. and she was very concerned about Steve and, you know, worried about what had happened to him after she found out that he disappeared. And of course that was suspicious that her husband yeah. had been in jail and was getting out. And so yeah. police went and they interviewed her and him and they, you know, they decided that he wasn't any kind of um, a suspect in this. Okay. Do you know how Janice and Steve even knew each other? We do not know that. Mm, we don't know how. They might have just run into each other. Maybe he met her while he was a bike messenger at some building. Maybe she worked at Chevron. Maybe he ran into her local coffee shop or through his music. We just don't know. No, don't know. Okay. All right. But she was married to a felon and he was in jail at the time. So, of course, that's something that's going to be on people's minds. We certainly understand that the police looked into that. And, and we'll certainly... <laughs> um, come back to that a little later. So he did have this, uh, how do you, how did, did like Janice reveal herself? Once again, the way you understand it, did Janice reveal herself after uh, Steve went missing or did like one mm -hmm. of Steve's friends know about her? Like they tracked her down. Do we even know how she even popped up into Steve's life as part of this? I don't, I don't even know how we heard about her. Okay. That's a good question. Okay. <laughs> well, that might be something you need to, look into um mm -hmm. maybe that you know uh, obviously if she came forward after the fact that would certainly i think make us cause us to believe that she had nothing to do with his disappearance somebody who would just voluntarily come forward and say oh yeah i'm concerned you know but uh if she had to be tracked down then that of course might mean oh, something. No, we, no she was very concerned about steve i i okay. i'm pretty sure i'm the one who talked <laughs> okay all right so but he did have this woman in his in his life in his life of course the big concern is she was married okay let's move on to this we're just going to talk about a couple people in fact we've kind of already mentioned them but i think the listeners do need to understand uh, a little more deeply who these two were and it's going to get a little confusing because unfortunately one of them has the same name uh with as steve but you've already mentioned him and we've come across a couple different spellings of his name but we'll do our best steve haverness um you've mentioned him uh my understanding is he had something to do with your your brother steve with music or something what do you understand about just in general steve haverness have you ever met him did you ever meet him before steve went missing did he grow up with steve what can you tell the listeners yeah they met in middle school and uh steve haverness was We'll just call him Havernas. How's that? Okay, that's yeah. fine. So he was one of Steve's uh, best friends from middle school through high school. Um, and I don't remember ever meeting him. And, uh, you know, I do know Steve Havernas had a recording studio in his house. So he was a musician mm -hmm. as well as uh, my brother. Mm -hmm. And they did some recording together? 
Uh, yes. So, um, well, I know that um, uh, Steve's friend George and Steve and my brother Sean all went over to Havernas's house sometime in the fall of uh, 1986 and, and made a recording in his recording studio. Okay. Uh, Steve, you know, it's interesting to me, of course, maybe in the 21st century, start talking about recording studios. And we know people can record from home just onto their, you know, MacBooks or whatever else using GarageBand, mm -hmm. which is what I also use for this podcast. But uh, of course, back in the 1980s, things a little different. It could get very expensive back then. So Steve yeah. had a recording studio set up in there. That's, um, oh, of course, you're in the music business. So maybe does that sound surprising to you or... Or what? No, no, we were, that was the time where things like Fostex 8 tracks were coming. So there were things you could set up a decent recording studio. I don't know what quality the studio was, but mm -hmm. yeah, you could, people were starting to make home recordings at that time. Okay, very good. And Steve, probably, please. It's probably just more of a home studio. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Steve, though, he did not live in San Francisco. Did he still live in the area where you all grew up? Well, in, oh, Habernas? Yes, please. Yeah, Habernas. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, Habernas. Yes, please. Yeah, he, he lived in Larkspur. Um, his parents had both, um, had died very young and they'd left their house to him. So he owned a house in Larkspur Canyon. Wow. And he was around mm -hmm. uh, Steve's age and owning, already owning his own house. And yeah. All okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So that's how Steve knew Havernas. Steve Havernas, we're calling him Havernas. Thank you for reminding me, Susie. But Havernas uh, does not live in San Francisco, but he knew Steve for quite a while. They did some recordings together. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, just doing a recording. Did they actually play live anywhere? Did they actually have a band or was this just yeah, uh, uh, yeah. no steve, steve and george and sean all played at my wedding reception <laughs> wow. in the summer of 86 and i have videos of that wow <laughs> with, cousin, with cousin grant on drums <laughs> neat mm -hmm. neat okay that I didn't know that. That's the I'm first hearing about that. I might I, we might all be interested to see some of that if uh, you were willing to show some of your uh, wedding uh, videos <laughs> from 1986. Uh, and I'm 51, so the 80s are you know right there in my mind. Uh, I graduated high school in '89, so uh, mm -hmm. I remember them well. So that's interesting. Okay, so um, of course we've talked about George. We understand that he knew this um, this woman who had a, a, a place that Steve could live. And they knew each other from uh, elementary school as well. But what would you say regarding George and Havernas? What's again your understanding? Were they two close friends as well as Steve was close with him, or were they, you know, not as close? No, they weren't close. They were both friends with Steve, but they didn't hang out just on their own. Okay. All right. All right. So that's um the two guys that we will be talking about uh, a, a little later, you know, more in depth, especially coming back in, in particular to Havernas. A couple questions for you. Of course, you see them in the outline that we are following for this, uh, this interview. Mm -hmm. It wasn't believed, of course, he went missing seemingly on Halloween, October 31st, 1986. Did, see, did Steve tell someone that he was going to see his mother that weekend 
uh, of Halloween. So the 31st, November 1st, November 2nd. Did he tell somebody that? Was that something that people thought he was going to do that weekend? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I think he told a couple of people. He evidently told my mom's roommate, Frank, who was also a good family friend, that he would be coming up for the weekend. And he called my brother, Scott, and said that he would be up and was planning on spending Halloween night with Scott. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that very Friday. Okay, mm -hmm. and then once again, for the listeners, uh, Halloween 1986 was on a Friday. However, uh, we also have this story. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's uh, in contrast to that or, um, you know, the opposite of that. Maybe the two can be rationalized somehow. But did Steve tell somebody else that he was going to Haverness's party, a Halloween party that Haverness was having at this house? Um, you know, and in the process of doing that, he was going to be picking up some tape. Who did Steve tell this to? And do you see maybe those two stories as being the opposite? Do they conflict in some way? Or is it possible that both could be true the way you look at it now? Yeah, no, my my uh, mom actually knew that uh, Frank, what Steve had relayed to Frank was that he was going to stop at Steve Havernas's house, do a little work on the tape, uh, like maybe do some mixing on the tape and then come up to my mom's house. So they knew he was stopping at Steve Havernas's house. All right, so um, and then he told he told George that he was going to go pick up the tape, do a little work on it, but that also Havernas was having a Halloween party that night and he was going to attend it. So I don't think it's definitely in conflict. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he could have been, oh, I'm going to go pick up the tape, go up to my mom's, hang out with my brothers. Then he found out there's a party. He's like, oh, I'll go pick up the tape, go to the party for a little bit and then go up to my mom's. I, so I think it's you know kind of it's the very same possible story. that th that all could have happened all in one night it's possible yeah all right because we have to remember and this is something that i guess we need to talk about is that steve did work that friday at chevron that halloween october 31st he was mm -hmm. in san francisco he went to work and in fact i think you told me in a prior conversation that um there was some comment made that you know steve was doing a good job at work or, or something like that what, what my mom's my mom spoke to his supervisor and his supervisor said that Steve had come up to him that Friday and said he'd had his best day at work ever. Huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And that was on that Friday. So uh, we have to realize maybe he gets out of work at four o'clock. Uh, he has this good day at work or good week at work, gets out of work maybe sometime in the afternoon. And his plan is to go eventually end up back in his hometown how would mm -hmm. he have been doing that? Uh, he didn't have a car. So how would he have been going from San Francisco? And like you said, it's not that far, but still a half hour. You wouldn't want to walk it. Um, no, no, the, the, there's a bus that, I mean, the bus up uh, goes right up through Larkspur. So that's kind of right on the way. And then you just catch another bus to Fairfax. So I'm sure he was busing it. Okay. So yeah. his, the, believe, the plan was believed to be that he would get off work get on the bus, uh, go to Havernas's first or maybe second, but eventually end up in your hometown to see your family, specifically your mother. Yeah, that, well, that's what, that's what my brother Scott okay. expected would happen. Cause that's what Steve told him would happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, of course we know that he did not show up 
in it back mm-hmm. back in his hometown to see your mother to see anybody else and at the time how did your mother for example react she thinks he's coming up of course he doesn't end up there on october 31st mm-hmm. not on november 1st not on november 2nd how does she react what did she do um i don't remember i'd have to ask her but you know i think she just you know made the assumption that steve had changed his plans uh, he had not reached out to her personally. She'd only heard about it through other people. So I think she wasn't that, she did, decided not to be worried about it. Um, and then it, on Monday, she got a call from Steve's supervisor at work who said Steve hadn't showed up for work. And so that's when she called George, Steve's friend who lived in the city and said, Hey, you know, can you go by and just, you know, see Mm -hmm. what's going on. Uh, And George went and looked in the window of Steve's apartment and everything, you know, there was no sign of any break in or anything that looked out of the ordinary. All right. So uh, once again, the, the accepted date all these years later of the disappearance is Halloween, 1986. Steve mm-hmm. has these plans. It doesn't, he, of course, he did not fulfill those plans, uh, whatever he was planning to do. And it goes through the weekend. And we'll get back to this party in Havernas here in a moment. But your mother is thinking in particular that, well, maybe something came up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he is a grown man. Maybe yeah. she was a little worried that he didn't call. You know, I, my mother is now deceased, but I know that. If I told her I was going to show up at her house and I didn't show up, she would, of course, worry about me. But this would be in the era of cell phones and everything, a little, a lot right. different than it's in 1986. Really, that makes it was sense. really different. I mean, we yes, were all indeed. just used to not being constantly in touch with each other. Yeah, <laughs> and, it was, and it was kind of nice, wasn't it, Susie? It was the, in, in a way, I guess. But um, so she just thinks, well, maybe something came up, but it's not until Monday. Like you said, it was his uh, work that called her. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then she has George's number. George is convenient for him. He goes over there, but he did not go into the apartment. He didn't have a key. He was just like looking in like through the window or whatever and just didn't see anything. Yeah, that's what he said is that he just looked in the window. Okay. Now, eventually, though, somebody did get into the apartment, maybe the landlord uh, and uh, please. Well, the, the my mom went down on Wednesday and wow. the landlady let her in mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, no, nothing was out of place. All of Steve's instruments were there. There was a receipt for groceries um, that were paid for Friday afternoon. And a few mm-hmm. things in the fridge. And there was a Saturday morning edition of the paper that was there, which okay. could have been purchased Friday night okay. or Saturday morning. <laughs> you know, yeah. hard to say. Yeah. yeah. All right. So once again, this receipt uh, shows October 31st on it. We have this early edition newspaper. Maybe it's delivered very early on November 1st. Maybe well, some purchased. very early. Yeah, purchased or purchased Purchase. very early Saturday morning. So it seems that, yes, he went to work and maybe he stopped for groceries on the way home, made it home. The receipt's there, so I guess the food was there too. And then something, you know, happens after that. But there certainly uh, wasn't any signs of violence. Uh, there wasn't any signs that somebody broke in to no. the place. Um, what about Steve's 
uh, possessions like his wallet. Was his wallet there? Of course, we can't talk about cell phones. No, no. Jet. Wallet no, his, he, his wallet and his jacket were gone. So he had, uh, he had evidently left the apartment yeah. on his own. Okay. And of course, there was no break-in. It sounds like you said there were instruments there, maybe things that people could steal that might have some value. All of those things were there. So it just seems like maybe we could, as a possibility, yeah, he's planning to go catch the bus to ride it home and something happens. Mm-hmm. Kind of what it looks like. Okay. What do the the police do? You know, uh, before we started this interview, uh, we were just both talking about how uh, families maybe take too much for granted and on the work that police are actually going to do regarding a disappearance. That is not just true in 1986. It's true to this day. Mm-hmm. But back then, who ends up filing the, the missing persons report? And really, did the police uh, do much at the time at all? Uh, well, initially, I think, you know, once they talked to everybody, you know, we all, my mom told them what Steve had said to her about you know maybe disappearing sometime and so um it probably did not help with their urgency about investigating but i mean we were in regular contact with them i remember the officer's name was irene irene dunn and uh you know we they they followed leads they interviewed a lot of people i know they talked to george i know they talked to janice they said they talked to Janice's husband um, and we did kind of just trust that they were interviewing uh, any possible leads that could have been associated with his uh, disappearance. Do you know, I know it's a very technical question, but do you know if they went to like the bus station and never passed this picture around? Hey, did anybody see? Of course, now we're talking maybe a week later at a, at a bus stop or a bus station somewhere. It's going to be yeah. a little difficult, it, but you know that if they even attempted that? No, I don't. And it would have just been a bus stop. Okay, bus stop. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the police do what they can, but as you stated, the apartment's locked, nothing stolen, doesn't look like any signs of violence. He says he was going to go back to his hometown. We have these statements. The police are thinking maybe he just ran off. You know, if he's talking about social security numbers and going missing for a while, that that opens itself to a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Okay. Uh, How well would you say that the police kept in contact with your family, you know, regarding uh, any work being done on the case over all these years. And then we'll get into maybe more of the technicalities of some of this. How would you say? Uh, Well, I think for the first, you know, first couple of years, we had pretty active uh, conversations with them. And then every once in a while, we would follow up. I know, um, God, about eight years ago, they contacted us and uh, I, and myself and my brother, Sean, donated DNA. <clears throat> um, so now that's on file for Steve. Um, right now, I'm having a hard time <laughs> reaching anybody there. I, yeah. And, you know, they say that there's there's only two officers handling all the missing persons cases. And so I'm sure that a case from 1986 is not top priority. At, um, so it's, yeah, it's hard to get any additional information at this point yeah and uh as i've told you i've covered at least two other disappearances from san francisco 
Uh, Cameron Remmer, which is a very long episode that, that came out at the end of um, uh, 2020, that um, where the police have not been helpful. And that's just the disappearance within the last uh, uh, 10 years. And then another disappearance, kind of like Cameron's, uh, Jackson Miller's. Uh, once again, I uh, got to the point with both of those that some of the families were getting trying to get petitions filed to get uh, investigators fired and everything mm. else. So uh, that's maybe a little bit what you're talking about here about trying to contact them and them not being uh, very helpful. Now we should talk about this though. Uh, we know that Steve said he was going to be going to this party. He was going to be picking up this recording tape. Did the police speak to uh, Havernas, Steve Havernas, um, and did George talk to Havernas? Did you or anybody in your family personally talk to Havernas about this party mm -hmm. after you found out about all of it? What did Havernas um, say about this party? Um, was he not worried that Steve didn't show up? Or what can you say about Havernas's reaction to this entire thing? Um, I don't, Gosh, I really hope the police interviewed him, but that's one thing I can't really clarify until I uh, get a look at the file. I would assume they did. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't really know. Um, I know that George went by Habernas's house a couple weeks after Steve's disappearance and said, hey, Steve is missing and, and kind of felt that Habernas didn't seem very concerned. He was kind of like, yeah, what do you want me to, you know, and what am I supposed to do about it? And he was sort of surprised by that. Um, there's, so we have no evidence if he actually made it to the party or not, you know, which is that would, that would have really been good to know. Okay. So I guess maybe as an example, uh, if it was believed that Steve was supposed to show up at Havernas's party, Steve doesn't show up. There are no records that over those that weekend, let's say November 1st, November 2nd, that Havernas called, tried to call Steve, tried to call your mother. Hey, you know, being that he might have suspected that Steve was going to his mother's. Hey, Steve, why didn't you show up at my party on Friday night? You were supposed to show up. You, you know, you, you kind of stood me up here. There's no proof that Havernas ever did anything like that. Is there? No. No, there is not. Okay. Has anybody ever been, given that this party allegedly happened, uh, George or anybody else who might have been more in tune with all of this, ever been able to track down anybody who was at that Halloween party that Havernas allegedly threw? Nope. Okay. So all we have is, I guess, Steve saying that he thought that Havernas was having this party, but we just still, all these years later, and you know, and I got to say, once again, it seemed to me being that Havernas was friends with Steve, it seems to me they would have at least some mutual friends mm -hmm. that would be at this party. None of those people who would have known your brother yeah. have ever come forward and said, you know what? I was at Havernas's party in 1986. Yeah. I was 23 at the time. And yes, we were expecting Steve to show up, but he didn't. Nobody in the last 36 years almost has ever come <laughs> forward to say that. No, I mean, I have to say, I didn't really, I didn't know the story about the party until only recently myself. Huh. And how Somehow. did you find out about it? I found out from George. Okay. But we should be clear on something, though. George was not invited to this party. No, and did not attend. Yeah. Okay. So 
I guess what we're saying, in fact, I think you told me that Steve tried to get George to go to this party, but George didn't want to go because he wasn't invited. Yes, that's what George told me. Okay. All right. So there's there's this party that we just don't have a lot of proof of it right now. We're not saying it didn't happen, but it would certainly, uh, you know, it would certainly feel a lot better about this if there were people who came forward here in the 21st century to say, you know what, I did go to that party. You know, and yeah, Steve wasn't there because otherwise you start to think, did this party happen or not? Okay. Right. Yes, okay. that would be really great. I'd love to see the police report and see if they actually talked to Havernas, found out who was at his house that night and talked to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I, have a feeling, I have a feeling they didn't. Okay. All right. But uh, all right. So we have this and like on top of everything else, um, Havernas, in George's opinion, once again, you and I weren't there. But in George's opinion, uh, Havernas maybe did not show uh, the concern that you think someone would have. That's just what George. That's just George's impression. Yeah. Very well, maybe <laughs> if you get to speak to Havernas one of these days, that it's totally different. But yeah, you know, being the George knew Steve as well as anybody, uh, his reaction was that you know I just thought Havernas could have acted a, a little bit differently. Now regarding um, now we should mention this. Steve did keep a diary. Uh, it was found, I guess, in his place. Anything in it that could have forecasted what happened here? We, we've talked about diaries at least a few times over the last 250 disappearances that we've covered. Sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes they're not. What would you say about Steve's diary that he was keeping? Uh, it wasn't a diary. We uh, we He had a bunch of notebooks, and I look through them recently hoping to find some yeah. uh, some personal tales but like i mentioned before his journals were all creative writing as a sign you know just attempts just wild stories of fantasy and then lists about like all of the fights mike tyson ever had and the scores that he got huh. <laughs> so very very little personal stuff he didn't really write down personal things Okay, so we have these lists. Uh, would he write like lyrics to songs? Being that he was a musician, were there lyrics maybe that he was messing around with ideas for songs in there as well? Yeah, and yeah, we do have a lot of his songs. Uh, we have about wow. about thirty songs of his of demos that he did at home, wow. and I do have printed lyrics. And but I haven't really reviewed lyrics, looking for you know anything. Any any hidden messages. <laughs> Any hidden messages? Maybe you could just get. Of course, you know, not going to ask you to read. Would never re ask you to read any of the lyrics. I guess they're private. But would you say that the subject matter was, you know, just maybe to get into his um, state of mind? Would you say the topics of these lyrics were dark, or were they more uh, joyful? Uh, were they more uh, uh, black Sabbath? Were they more Black Sabbath, or were they more Van Halen? I guess is though what I'm trying to say. Pretty playful, you know, um, uh, he loved Lennon and so John Lennon loved the Beatles. So, of course, uh, you know, his subjects tended to be stuff more like that. But it's uh, I would I'd be interested in rereading his lyrics. It's been a while since I've done it. Like one of his songs is um, a song about 
his cousin it's it's called Grant got whipped with the vacuum cleaner and it's about when he was a small boy and my grandmother took the vacuum cleaner and spanked oh cousin goodness. Grant with it <laughs> so oh my just, goodness well that's kind yeah. of funny it is funny <laughs> yeah it's okay maybe not funny at the time for Grant but uh certainly funny to write about something like that okay yeah okay now, I do have in my notes, though, that uh, on October 31st, regarding going back to the what is accepted as the disappearance date, did your brother Sean speak to Steve that day? Uh, I am unsure. Uh, I'm, I'm unsure. I'd have to clarify with him. Okay. But he, too, was under the impression that Steve was coming up for the weekend. Okay. All right. So I had that in my notes. I wanted to bring that up. Um, that maybe your brother Sean spoke to him. So we're just not uh, sh quite sure about that. All we know is that Steve had talked to your mother like earlier in the week, yeah, I'm coming up. And then he mentioned to George about this party and invites George. So he, it certainly seems one way or the other that Steve was getting out of San Francisco that weekend. That was uh, his plan, no matter where he was going. That was his plan, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, regarding this tape, uh that was made and like you stated Havernest had this recording studio that these guys would get together and play and that steve was going to go there to get this tape now george though uh as you told me in a in a story that he told you he showed up at Havernas's. maybe this is the first time he showed up at Havernas's after steve went missing and the topic of this tape came up what mm -hmm. did George tell you uh, about this tape and what Havernas said when it was brought up? Uh, George said he he wanted to get the tape um, and ha and Havernas said he didn't know where it was. And then they started talking about the kind of work George was doing and George is doing some sort of construction. And Havernas said, hey, you know, I need some help over here. Maybe you want to do some construction work for me and trade for recording studio time. And then you could look for that tape. Huh. Uh, I have to say, what well, once again, neither of us are there with that, for that conversation. But just once again, it just doesn't seem like uh, Havernas uh, was that concerned. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a flippant comment. Well, yeah, you know, if you want to, uh, do, you know, trade uh, for services or something, yeah, then we can go like look for this tape. Yeah, where, it's you know, little... where could it be? You know what I mean? What yeah. is what is it under a couch cushion? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, that's just a weird story. Uh, but something else regarding Havernest, once again, something that we've talked about, so I need to ask you about it. Uh, was there an issue of a money situation between Steve and Havernest? God, my, my mom told me that Havernest owed Steve some money, but I don't know if that's actually true. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Could you think of any reason, once again, uh, the way you understand their friendship, could this have been, uh, you know, it seemed to me if, if Havernas has the recording studio, it would be that maybe Steve would owe, owe Havernas money, maybe yeah. not the opposite, but this no, is what your mother make, said, so I, I, ha I have to ask you about it. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so we're just not, once again, this is something, we're just not sure about it. It very well could be yeah. true. and. 
if it's true, then maybe something did go on. And sometimes disappearances do happen due to differences in money and people Mm -hmm. owing money that happens, but we don't have a lot of facts to back that up. I'm not saying your mother's lying. She may very well be telling the truth, but there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. context to that story. There's not. Yes. And this is a, a great morality tale. If something mysterious happens in your life, take notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally true. Don't just trust that you're going to remember what yes. people say, man. Jesus. Yep. yep. It's been quite a process trying to get everybody's stories to match up, even though we right. all experience the same thing. We all have slightly different takes on it. You right. know, that's right. That's totally true. And on top of and I will tell you, one of the reasons people don't do that is because they never think that a disappearance is going to last 36 years. They don't think that the mystery, yes, it may get resolved and John Smith may end up be found, may be found deceased, unfortunately, very sad, but they don't think it's going to be 36 years later. They maybe think it's going to be a year later. And so you don't write anything (laughs) down that, but it becomes an issue after 30 some years. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, um, my, my mother had Steve declared deceased, um, in the nineties. Uh, she just did not believe that he would never contact her, that he would disappear and never contact with her. And so, you know, that was a bit of a, I think it brought some finality to it, even though, you know, I'm still open to the possibility that he's alive. But at that point, I think, you know, we stopped really actively pursuing this case. Yeah. Right. And of course, you know, also the tough part, and we, of course, we have uh, a few more topics to cover. Unfortunately, I think when people think San Francisco and people going missing, they automatically think, did he go to the Golden Gate Bridge and jump? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, that's going to be something. It's very natural. Golden Gate Bridge is the number one spot for suicides in the United States. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that I've covered two disappearances in that area. And I will tell you in both of those situations, those two men, young men, were in much riskier, had riskier lifestyles. They had some mental health issues, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe either of them went to the Golden Gate Bridge. There's no proof of any of that. And I've looked at three other disappearances uh, kind of the same way. I don't believe those three other young men, they went off the bridge either. So I'm not inclined to believe that Steve did that either. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the problem is San Francisco has a reputation because right. of the Golden Gate Bridge. And that's why now they've, they've built that net under it and everything else. Yeah. So, um, you know, of course, that that's something. It very well may be something that was in the police department's mind back in 1986. Um, no, I don't think so. There was no reason. So? No, there's okay. no reason like that. Okay. okay. Given that you've spoken to George uh, very recently, and I think it's spectacular that you you know you could talk to somebody who you know saw Steve and was very friends with, you know very good friends with Steve, uh, and and spoke to him not long before he went missing. Uh, has he, if you feel you can say, has he ever offered up his own theory as to what happened to Steve? He's always been worried that something happened at the party. Okay. And that's that's why Steve didn't make it to my mom's. But there's no evidence. All right. But that, that's been his theory. Do you think that is something, once again, being that you've been talking to him, is this something that he came upon very quickly in 1986? Or do you get the feeling this is something 
uh, just he's thought recently? No, I think he's thought it all along. Okay, mm -hmm. very good. Now we did mention um, Janice, and, and unfortunately, uh, I've learned that uh, she is deceased. She's no longer with us. So whatever she knew, uh, if she knew anything, uh, mm -hmm. went to the grave with her. But this guy who was her her um, her husband, his name is James Lilly. He is still alive. Has uh, have you or anybody the police recently any idea? maybe gotten back in contact with him. My understanding is that he was in jail back and then for some drug issues of some type. Um, any news about him since he got out of jail in 1986 at all? No, none. 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 Okay. And finally, uh, there is another woman you mentioned, her name, young woman, I I'm guessing at the time her name is Rosalinda. Mm -hmm. uh, who is she? Is this just some other uh, girl that uh, Stephen met when he moved yeah. went to San Francisco? What do you? How did her name even pop up? Was she questioned? Uh, what is her status in all of this? Well, I I don't know her. My mom doesn't know her. I don't know if she was questioned. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I don't. Have That's all right. How did you find out about her? How do how do we even know her name? Well, when Steve was uh, went went missing, we did sort of compile a list of like contacts, people who knew him. I'm not sure who did that. Um, I was on tour. Mm -hmm. I was out and about yeah. when this happened. Um, yeah. So a lot of it was done by uh, my father, my mom. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how we knew about her. Okay, so her name just uh, kind of uh, popped up somehow. Maybe maybe George knew her. Maybe he had seen her over at maybe at Steve's place one time, you know, in San yeah. Francisco. Uh, you know, is she, given that we have this, uh, I called it a diary, but more like a journal or a series of notebooks, uh, could she have been mentioned in there, do you think? Do you think her name's in there anywhere? Um, Any I don't, don't know. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, the only thing I have once again in my notes regarding her is that, uh, that she was out of town when this all happened. That's got the only, um, thing. And no, I actually, I oh, please. I don't know. I no. really don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. That's all right. Okay. So these are all, uh, topics we've covered. I, I'm not going to release uh, her last name, but her first name was Rosalinda. I did look her up, uh, try to see if she had a c criminal record or anything. Could mm -hmm. not really, you know, find anything. Okay. Mm -hmm. So once again, we have a situation. This young man says he's going to be going back to his hometown, has some plans, doesn't end up there. And mm -hmm. the, pro the, the, the issues we have here is that first of all, he was having a relationship with a married woman and, and and let's just be clear this James Lilly he did get out of jail shortly before Steve went missing uh yes he did yeah i don't you know i don't know exactly the extent of their relationship either i don't know if it was sexual or just you know flirtatious i can't say okay mm -hmm. and then we have Havernas who you know, there's some questions there, and that will all be for the listeners to, you know, decide uh, and listen to all this and 
kind of figure out what they think happened. And then we have Steve's own comments where it sounded like might have, he, he just might have been looking to go off on his own. Uh, right. How did this disappearance affect your family uh, back in 1986, Susie? And how has it continued to do that to this day? Uh, well, we were just devastated. Just, oh, we couldn't. It, it's just so surreal when somebody, when that happens. Um, it, it's just heart, it's heartbreaking. And we were, you know, super worried, but also really clinging on to this hope that, you know, he would just, he was off on a lark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, my family has stayed pretty tight since then. I see my brothers pretty regularly, Sean and Scott, and I'm in touch with my both my folks who are still alive. And um, like I said, mom had Steve declared deceased and um, she needed to do that for her own peace of mind. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's just a terrible loss and just completely mystifying but i think in you know in our hearts we've all pretty much decided that somebody murdered him because there's just no other explanation and we don't we just don't know how it happened you know there was that very that very strange story about larry swimmer who was abducted off of the streets of san francisco by a bunch of guys in a van who tied him up and threw him in the bay Yes, we we talked about that. I did not have my notes. I'm glad you brought it up. Yes, there was a story about, uh, and I looked this guy up. He's like a professor somewhere or something now. Yeah, and that was right around the same time. And so, you know, it's possible something horrible like that happened, Um, you know. Uh, Your understanding, being that you said that he would have gone to a bus stop to get a bus, he wouldn't have to go to a bus station. Uh, Mm -hmm. What you know, if you even know, uh, how far was the nearest bus stop from where he lived? How far would he have had to have walked to get there to the bus that, you know, maybe it's a connection or something, you know, to eventually get to your hometown? Uh, how long? I, I don't know. I really, I'd have to look at his address and look at it on a map because I know where the Golden Gate Transit runs through the city, mm-hmm. but I'd have to see. But I'm sure that was how he got around and he was probably pretty adept. Right. At the bus system. And we have to remember, uh, Steve, not a small guy, right? Not no. um, not somebody you would look as an easy victim. Oh, he was around six feet. Wow. Okay. So, okay. All right. So, um, where we have that? So maybe he got caught walking. Once again, we don't do too much theorizing, but we have to consider all these possibilities. And I hope the mm-hmm. listeners will do that yeah um you know uh do you have any maybe i can ask you this uh has steve going missing i don't know if you're a mother or not if you have any children has it affected you in any way the way you go about your life since 1986 you know you know with having a brother who's gone missing how has that affected Mm -hmm. maybe your thoughts your behavior over the last 30 some years oh wow well um i don't know that it's affected my behavior um, it is just a weird thing to have happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for years and years, Steve would appear in dreams to me and he'd oh. just walk into my dream and be like, Hey, <laughs> like what? 
<laughs> like, like nothing, like what? So yeah, so I took off, you know. But I haven't had a dream about him like that in a while. You know, after after a while, you're you're you just get used to people being missing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. When you, of course, disappearances are in the news all the time. Does it, when you see the news, does it bring back bad memories? How does it affect you? Like, of course, we know all these, you know, certain disappearances that seem to get national attention, why they get attention, all these other ones don't, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, how does that affect you when you see something like that? Does it, it you know, is there something that comes up in your, you emotionally when you see that or? Um, yeah, sure. It can be, it can be very triggering. Yeah. And, and I feel a lot of compassion for anybody going through that, losing a loved one. Okay. Susie, uh, do you have a, a Facebook page, website, anything like that set up for Steve's disappearance? I do not. That's probably a pretty good idea. That is, I would say that's a pretty good idea. I agree with you. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, of course, that, of course, uh, on our Facebook page, The Unfound Podcast, Steve will eventually have his own uh, page there uh, for mm -hmm. any, you know, articles and, you know, the episode itself will be there. Uh, and also on Spotify, the Spotify page, now that Unfound is part of Spotify, it will have, he will have his own page over there as well. But you certainly should think about that. Yeah, it's easy enough to do. Probably the biggest thing is uh, keeping updated. And as you know, with social media, you do get trolls and no matter what we do out there. So you might get a little bit of that, but certainly um, uh, setting up a Facebook page would certainly raise mm -hmm. the profile. And that might be one of the easiest ways to tra start trying to track down any people that might have been at this Halloween party that Havanas allegedly had. Because I'm right. sure if the party was even just 10 or 12 people, you can almost guarantee that half of them at least are on Facebook. Yeah, you're right. So something to think about. Yeah. Um, you know, you no, just it's a great idea. Got great to, idea. Man, man, I have to think about managing that. That's the big deal. Any final mm -hmm. words before we complete this interview, Susie? No, just thank you for your energy behind this. Um, it's been really interesting and a little bit painful to look back and to also see how in retrospect I wish that we had kept better notes as a family and written down exactly the words that people told us instead of just trying to remember them because it's been uh, it's been quite a process to try and yeah. get a real clear concise story of exactly what happened when so um, a hard lesson to learn but that's what life is for. Right? <laughs> yeah, we learn a lot of lessons. Uh, mm -hmm. Disappearances, though, are one of the toughest ones. You know, yeah, yeah. you know. I, I guess we're fortunate overall that they aren't that common. But on the other hand, being that they aren't that common, most people, of course, don't know what it's like to experience that. So, mm -hmm. uh, and so, there might be a lack of understanding, a lack of. Uh, you know, compassion in certain, well, you know, they just, people just say, well, that happens, but I know it's devastating to families, devastating. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, you know, marriages, people get divorced, parents get divorced after their, you know, children go missing, you know, drug addiction starts popping up. Yeah. That's certainly a lot of collateral damage. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I hope you will keep uh, me informed on what's going on. 
Uh, I will always be a resource for you, Susie. Uh, email me, call me, things are going on. This is the only official uh, conversation that we'll have. Uh, anything from now on will go back to being off the record just between us. And if I can okay. help you in any way, of course, I will try to do that. You know, anything, okay. you know, any experience that I have, any ways to get any more information, I'll certainly pass that along to you. Right. You're very welcome. And I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. And that was my April 12th, 2022 interview with Susie Davis, sister of Steve Davis. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. As a side note, I didn't feel it was appropriate to bring it up during the interview, and really, she and I have not hardly talked about it at all, but you should check out Susie's own website, susiedavis.com. She is living quite the musical life. Now, my summation. I think Steve's disappearance is a perfect example of the theme I selected for this episode. Why do people who don't have any of the qualities of people who go missing disappear? Right about now, though, you may be saying, but wait, Ed, he was getting together with that married woman. Isn't that a quality of a guy who could go missing? But wait, Ed, he had talked to some people about going out of contact for a while. That certainly increased Steve's chances of going missing, right? But wait, Ed, he lived in the city with the number one suicide spot in the United States. That surely counts for something. All excellent points. Thank you for bringing them up but allow me to put them in a totally different light. Regarding the married woman, it's not the end-all be-all of evidence, but the San Francisco Police Department looked into it and decided her husband had nothing to do with Steve's disappearance. Is it possible they got it wrong? Absolutely. However, their judgment at the time in 1986 has a lot more weight than our suspicions with no evidence in 2022. Moreover, if the husband was ticked off about his wife cheating on him, why didn't she disappear instead? Or to keep it simple, if the husband was ticked off at Steve, why cause Steve's disappearance? Why not just shoot him in his apartment? Regarding Steve's comments about going away and getting a new social security number, the problem we have is we weren't there. We didn't hear the conversations. Neither did Susie. And sure, Steve's mother and others could recount those talks, but that's not the same as being there in the moment. For example... I may talk to someone about going to the top of Mount Everest. Yet, people who know me well know I hate the cold. I hate snow. And I surely hate hiking. When really, I only brought it up in conversation because the film Everest was on TV. 
In addition, when I think about people leaving their lives, I think of people who are being restricted in some way. They aren't being allowed to be who they want. My perception is the Davis family was the opposite of that. As for suicide, given the Golden Gate Bridge being so close, I see nothing in anything I've heard about Steve to consider it. Susie and the rest of her family completely dismiss the thought. And as I learned while watching the documentary about people who jump off the bridge, there were witnesses to almost all of the suicides. And as far as I know, there is no story from 1986 about a guy jumping off the bridge and not being found in the water below. That all leaves the Halloween party, the recording tape, and the trip home. If the party happened, why haven't people come forward to say, oh yeah, I thought Steve would be at the party, but he wasn't. Yet, I guess we have to believe the party happened because Steve invited George to it. Why would Steve invite George to a party that didn't exist? If George were to provide some names of people he thinks Haverness would have invited to that party, hey, he and Haverness knew each other from school too, then that could jumpstart this investigation 36 years later. What I'm saying is the other Frisco kid could be the key to this disappearance. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm at Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.